and David Parker with me today, uh, authors of the book, What Really Makes You Ill, Why Everything You Thought You Knew About Disease is Wrong. Uh, this is an amazing book at almost 800 pages. Uh, it really is like an encyclopedia uh, of the true nature of disease. And one of the things I noticed already um, is that, you know, it's a great book to have in your library um, as a reference because you can just go back if you're ever curious about any particular illness throughout history most likely the answers will be in this book uh, it's it's an amazing resource to have and uh, I heard this took you about 10 years to complete what sparked your interest in in starting to write this book what what made you want to do it uh, well it, we Don and I have uh, sort of worked and written together for you know, best part of 20 years, really. And uh, at the time, uh, going back quite a number of years now, we were writing another little book, which was about the nature of reality. And uh, obviously within that, uh, which nothing to do with uh, the medical system at all, but within it, there was a, a section that we needed to write about health, naturally, as part of people's <laughs> reality. Um, and there was a section that we needed to be able to write some uh, information about viruses. And at that time, uh, as I often tell people, uh, we're going back now 15, 17 years, um, Dawn and I believed all the things that everyone else believed. And unfortunately, the things that most people still believe, and that is that germs of one sort or another attack you and make you ill, uh, that viruses uh, are one of those germs, uh, that vaccinations are good for you and can uh, give you immunity against various diseases and that the medical establishment was based on science and knew what it was doing. And uh, we'd soon found that uh, none of those things were true, which uh, <laughs> which was a big shock to us. Uh, you know, when you've uh, been taught something for a whole lifetime and suddenly when you start to investigate it yourself, you find nothing you've been taught and believed was true and hence why we call the book uh, what really makes you will because we found it wasn't germs of any sort and that everything we thought we knew about disease was wrong so we thought well that's that'll be a good title for the book because that's going to be the majority of people's experience uh, everything you know we knew it was a challenging title title and we knew that some people particularly doctors would be offended by it yeah that's for sure. which which uh, surprised us that one of the first people that contacted us when we released the book uh, was Dr. Andy Kaufman <laughs> and uh, wanted to interview us. I mean, he's interviewed us several times, but, uh, uh, you know, for a doctor of his standing to uh, have the book, he got the book and uh, read it and thought it was fantastic and uh, wanted to talk to us about it. So, so that, that was a bit of a sigh of relief for us, as you can imagine, you know, a professional from the medical establishment rather than getting in touch with us and uh, uh, ranting and raving at us. So um, he was in the actually, midst of his own research and wanted to talk to you about it. Is that yeah, right? Yeah. He said, uh, he said, you know, uh, he thought it was a fantastic book and had saved him a lot of research time of his own because uh, we'd already done it. <laughs> right. Um, 
And, uh, you know, we've spoken to him since. He, I mean, he, he still uses it as a reference book. So that's, that's really good. And, uh, and the same with Dr. Tom Cowan. We know he, 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 he references us and our book in his book, <laughs> recent book. So, and also, I know I'm name dropping here, but also uh, Dr. Stefan Lanker, who, we, oh, yeah. who we've also been in contact several times, and he agrees with everything we've said. So, you know, this gave us all great confidence, of course, that uh, our research was solid. And um, uh, but but nonetheless, you know, we we spent the ten years researching it because we wanted to make sure it was solid. That um, we didn't want to be telling people things that weren't correct, and. Um, in fact, uh, St Dr. Stefan Lanker's work was, um, uh, we'd come across that sort of many years before that sort of part of our research when we were looking at uh, HIV AIDS, because he was he was very outspoken about that, uh, I think back in the 90s. Mm -hmm. So we'd, we'd picked up on his work, especially when we were looking at that uh, HIV AIDS. But at the same time, he was also talking, uh, sort of questioning uh, the existence of other viruses and showing that the images that we were all shown as being viruses were just some kind of CGI. It doesn't actually demonstrate that they're viruses. So that um, was part of why we thought, well, we need to look into these other disease, so-called diseases as well. And so that's why we kept kind of asking ourselves the questions we knew that people would ask us and still do ask us um, when you talk about, you know, certain diseases or doesn't cause, you know, germs don't cause a disease. Uh, we get that, but what about, but what about, you know, the whole sort of contagion thing? Because people really are having a hard time getting yeah. around that idea. I mean, we've, because we've been working with it, if you like, for such a long time, we're used to that. I mean, of course, a lot of people are now only coming to it for the first time. So it's taken them, it's it's taking them some time to to kind of come out of that mindset because it's just so embedded in language um you know people are so used to oh don't cough over me i don't want your germs you know it's just normal everyday language so it's it's hard to come out of that and really see that there's something else and, be, and because because you, you're taught it right from your first day at school aren't you you know and uh, the media i mean people have only got to if they dare listen to the media at all now and it's pumped out 24-7, you know, oh, that yeah. there's these, uh, well, the coronavirus around now, but uh, it used to be anything. I mean, uh, Dawn and I are old enough to uh, have uh, been adults in the 80s, and so we saw what was happening with the HIV-AIDS. And uh, right. when we decided we needed to write a book, because as we were starting to find out that uh, everything we'd been told was wrong. So, so this was around the, you... sorry to interrupt, this was around the HIV epidemic that you started writing yeah. or at least thinking about oh, it oh no not writing no oh, i mean yeah. we um no we were around when that um okay, when yeah. it sort of well when that hope well hoax story whatever it was what you want to call it when that was being reported so right. we knew all the you know the media hype around it and what was going on and we were all part of the kind of you know population it, that were being scared about it it wasn't yeah. until we started looking into um health as such and we've discovered that that was a problem so that be, um it did become the first kind of really big um sort of if you like major inf so-called infectious disease that we started looking into uh and we spent some time with that because it was such um a big 
um, propaganda piece at the time. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, we, we found out later it was a propaganda piece, but at the time it was such a big story and people were still being diagnosed. There was still a big uh, media uh, campaign about HIV and AIDS. It was still going, even though not quite as bad. And they weren't predicting that, you know, kind of everyone around the world was going to die or that kind of thing. Um, but there was still a lot of media attention. There was still a lot of fear-mongering about it. So, so we, um, we can see the parallels because we mm. live through it. We can see the parallels of the 80s with HIV AIDS yes. and the parallels now with uh, so, so-called COVID. Right. Um, and and the, one of the amazing uh, facts that I discovered through watching one of your other interviews is that you actually released this book December of 2019. Is that right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. yes. I mean... That that's pretty crazy. You, yeah. I mean, what are the odds? You know. Well, we wow. people have asked us this, and they said, "Oh, it's very fortuitous that you literally released the book, you know, almost days a week or so before this COVID nonsense hit the world." And we said, "Well, you know, we've long since stopped believing in coincidences. You know, this <laughs> was we had no idea, of course, but we." We're, uh, it was obviously meant to be. Let's let's we'll leave it oh, to that yeah. for the time being. Yeah. I can it was tell obviously it's meant gift. to be. For sure. It's a gift to everyone. Um, um, uh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but um, what uh, and we will go into the to COVID stuff. But what was it like during the HIV epidemic? And what are some of the parallels that you that you see? OK, well, we because obviously it was the first. Well, we'll say coincidentally, but uh, we don't believe it. it just happened to be that was the first disease that we thought, well, we look at this. Uh, because obviously we'd all been scared, you know, it was almost everyone was so scared to <laughs> wondered whether to have it, ever be able to have sex again, you know, because right. we've been told by the media, you know, oh, yes, well, it started in the homosexual community, but it's going to spread into the heterosexual community. And and literally they were telling us millions of people were going to die from this worldwide, millions, tens of millions. And the media were putting out on the television, you know, rows of tombstones. I mean, it was dreadful, absolutely dreadful what they were doing. But of course, at the time, we didn't know. And, and they were scaring everybody exactly as they've been doing with COVID, scaring everybody that you're all, you know, everyone's going to die. Millions are going to die. And coincidentally, it was the same uh, as we found out, the same computer software programs that they were running with the false predictions mm. back in the 80s that they've been running ever since whenever they do these predictions about how many people are going to die through their new invented pandemic <laughs> it's they're using the same rubbish software to predict these things you know and they've never been right never ever been right so uh, but it obviously suits certain other people's agendas to to use these software programs but that's that's another story so so the first thing was that um, as we looked at it, we, we always try to fo we always follow the evidence and we wanted to get back to first principles. And so we wanted to find where is the scientific evidence uh, for the virus, which that we were being told that's causing this disease. And we looked for the scientific papers and they're nowhere to be found. They were nowhere to be found then and they've never been anywhere to be found ever since to this day. And we soon found that there were other uh, luminaries were also looking you know one was uh, professor peter jewsberg and another was carrie mullis no less yeah. and uh, he's on the record of saying you know he looked for the papers and they do not exist so he's it's very outspoken on it right? absolutely yeah absolutely 
And of course, also coincidentally, <laughs> we might say, um, they were using uh, the PCR test to yeah. diagnose uh, HIV. And again, of course, as we all know, Carrie Mullis was the inventor of the PCR process, and he was saying exactly the same thing, which is, this is not what my test has been designed for. It will not diagnose. It's not a diagnostic tool. It will not discover whether there's a virus present. But of course, and, and he got the Nobel Prize for this, and yet all the governments totally ignored him. You think, yeah. well, that was a big clue we thought what, what what's going off here you know this is this is the nobel prize winner he invented it and you're not listening to what this guy's saying so we we knew there was something very wrong with what was going off yeah and i mean the pcr to me is really like the smoking gun of of everything not only for hiv but for covid you know and nobody has really uh paid attention to what's going on with that and to for my uh my understanding of the PCR is that it essentially magnifies uh, genetic material already in your body, and you don't have. There's not a lot of molecules you don't have in your body, so it, mm. it magnifies it depending on the cycle uh, cycles that they use, and they yes. cycled it up during the beginning of the pandemic. This one. And, you know, down coinciding with the vaccine. So they can, it's kind of like a, you know, like a knob yeah. on an oven, right? Yeah. <laughs> Almost. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, Carrie, exactly Carrie Mully said, you know, if you, I mean, I think he said if you do it well enough, but I mean, if you do it at enough cycles, you, you can find just about anything in anybody. And, and obviously they've found the right level where they can find anything in anybody. Right. Um, and producing all these so-called positive, which they call cases, even though people aren't ill you know there's nothing wrong with them um so it's cases um and it's not about even people who are ill the number of cases nothing to do with people who are ill and that's why they've made it look like such a big deal but of course you know like you say they just use well they're misusing it um but well, they're using it for the wrong purpose in the first place but they're misusing it because as you say they're dialing up the number of cycles so purpose. that they get the results that make it look like there's something going on yeah. when there's nothing going on and of course, you, you need to go, as we always do and always recommend to people, you know, you need to go back to square one and say, well, before you start messing around with tests and diagnostics and all the rest of it, let's see the proof that uh, the virus actually exists. You know, that, uh, you know, it's been properly purified and isolated, that its full genetic code's been categorized and you've actually proved that the isolated particle purified and isolated particle is the actual cause of the disease and they haven't done any of those things there's all sorts of uh, fraudulent bits of paper i will use the word because they are fraudulent because they've been looked at not only by us but by people like dr tom cowan and dr andy cowan and they've looked at these papers which purport to have uh, isolated the virus even the ones that were published in the nature journal which is supposed to be the most prestigious journal in the world scientific journal in the world and um uh those papers are fraudulent you know and i'm really pleased that uh, dr andy kaufman went through them we i mean we looked through them but of course his uh uh he carries some more weight than we do being a doctor um uh, but he quite showed quite clearly i'm just uh, in short for those that uh, may have uh, heard that these papers exist um when you read the abstract in these papers uh, you know, which is the first paragraph or two, it purports to, to have fully isolated the virus, to fully categorised it, to have met all of Cox's postulates, 
and to approve that it is the cause of the disease. So most people only read that bit, including doctors, you know, because they don't have their busy people, <laughs> they say, and uh, they don't have time to read the full methodology, which is quite lengthy and very technical and, to be honest, quite boring. But, you know, to get the truth, you have to do that. And, and for uh, we, people... we did. For people who don't know what a Cox postulates are, can you describe it a little bit? From my understanding, it's you have to have something all by itself, you know, the what you believe is the cause, um, in this case of virus. You have to have it by yourself, put it in a host, a person or animal, make them sick, repeat the process, right? The first postulate is actually the one that um, is uh, pure logic, which says that the so-called pathogen must always be found in people who are ill with the disease it's supposed to cause and must never be found in people who don't have the disease it's supposed to cause which sense. is pure logic and if only that were the case but that's never been proven to be the case um i mean that that's that certainly works for bacteria which are living organisms that we do have in their bodies but the problem with viruses is of course that um they're not living entities at all uh, they've never been isolated. Mm. Not that no single viral particle has ever been isolated for any disease. So there is no proof that any disease is caused by any virus. Um, Just to explain, to, so that people, I mean, I know we can get into this in more detail, but it, it's worth seeing as we keep talking about viruses. Mm -hmm. um, is to just explain briefly what they are. I mean, first of all, it's just, just to say, as the medical establishment do a lot of, is it's a corruption of the word anyway, viruses from the Latin, which means uh, a poison in its original meaning. It means poison or noxious substance. So nothing to do with particles, but uh, it, so it's a corruption of what its original meaning was. And it came about in the 1930s when the invention with the invention of the electron microscope because they could prior to that they only had optical microscopes so they could only see bacteria in the blood they couldn't see anything else and uh, these particles are much smaller than bacteria uh, so once they could see these things they decided the medical establishment that is that, that uh, they were going to blame these smaller particles for all the diseases that they couldn't blame on bacteria and so that was uh, that was where it all came from. But as Dawn said, they have never had any proof that these particles, we'll call them that, have been the cause of any diseases because they've never met the criteria that I've just said, which is to fully isolate it. This is another corruption that the medical establishment do when they say they've, or virology to be more specific, when they say they've isolated it, what they mean is, <laughs> something entirely different when we say isolation as the dictionary would define it's to separate one thing from everything else that's isolation so they kind but of changed the whole definition right yes yes completely but, yeah but when they say isolation they mean that they've got what they think is the virus particles uh mixed in with a number of other elements in their petri dish which will be uh bovine serum antibiotics stainers and fixers um and and that to their mind they've got monkey this oh cells. yes of course i must remember, must remember the monkey kidney cells <laughs> Poor most important because well, they're, they're the, this is what the they do that they supposedly 
grow these things on, but viruses aren't alive, so they can't grow. But that's, so you know, this that's is, just another part <laughs> of all of this. So this, crazy. Con, so this concoction in their Petri dish, <laughs> all of these elements, they call that isolation. How in their warped minds, I don't know how you can call that isolation because it patently isn't. You've got a whole cocktail in that dish. And then what they do is um, leave it for a few days, um, obviously remembering that, that this has got the supposedly infected tissue sample from a sick person, which they've put in their Petri dish, along with all these other elements. And uh, so for straight away, you've taken it away from a living organism. So it's this tissue sample is taken away from a living organism. So it's no longer being fed by the nutrients of the body and it's no longer part of the electrical system of the body. So it's completely away from its natural environment. Then you put all these other poisons in there, including antibiotics, which is a poison. And then they'd leave it in the Petri dish for a few days, usually about five days. And then when they see that the cells have died, they blame it on the virus. <laughs> they say the virus has killed it. But they don't never seem to realize that you've just poisoned it and starved it. You know, cells need to be, uh, need nutrients to live, uh, you know, in the same way as they do when they're in the human body. But this, in virology terms, is isolation, which they've not done, and uh, and they've poisoned, <laughs> poisoned and starved it. So it's little wonder that the cells die. And they never do and have never done a control experiment to say what ha what happens if uh, we do something different. You know, if we if we put all that same concoction together, but don't put any supposed virus in there. And let's see what happens to the bovine serum cells and the monkey gland cells. You know, even though we've added, you know, the uh, antibiotics and the fixes and stainers and all the rest of it. Let's see what happens to the cells. Now, fortunately, uh, Dr. Stefan Lanker has done exactly that. For the first time, now he's done a control experiment and lo and behold, he finds exactly the same thing happens. You know, uh, the cells of the on the monkey gland and the bovine serum, they die just the same over the same period. So you get exactly the same result, whether there's anything supposedly containing a virus in the Petri dish or not. So it just shows that the whole thing is just proves nothing. It has no scientific basis whatsoever, which is what? Dr. Stefan Lanker and others, including ourselves, have said all along. Uh, I mean, and as people may know, uh, Dr. Stefan Lanker was trained as a virologist originally. Mm. Uh, that was his career. He's also a microbiologist. Uh, but he refuses any longer to be called a virologist because, he, he, as he says, it's not a science. <laughs> it's just, a, it's almost like... Uh, it's a magic trick. Like, yeah, yes. it, it, it's, it's a magician. Just, yeah. It's just, <laughs> yes, yeah. It's just nonsense. Yes. But of yeah. course, it suits the it suits the pharmaceutical companies because they can make up any stories they like from this, you know, uh, we found this virus or that virus, let's start selling vaccines and lotions and potions for it. Uh, or they can say, oh no, it's mutated now. So we've got a different strain. So we need to sell you some different vaccines and lotions and potions. And so it goes on. And yeah, they uh, built a, they very much built an entire industry on, I mean, billions and if not trillions of dollars, right? I Absolutely. Mean, if there were no viruses, that would come toppling down. Yeah. Well, and if there was no germ theory, which it, and I do ask people to remember, even they call it the germ theory, i.e. a theory being something that's never been proven. So, you know, it's there in plain sight, isn't it? Um, but people miss that bit. And uh, But you take away the germ theory, which we are doing, and the medical, whole of the medical establishment in all its facets, 
collapses. They have nothing because everything they do is based on uh, this warfare model of germs attack you. Therefore, we provide something. We be the medical establishment. We provide something to kill these germs and we charge you money for it. But it's not just the medical system because um, there are lots of other aspects of our lives where they're using the same kind of idea that, you know, you need to kill the germs. So there's lots of antibacterial substances in, in clothes, in household products, right. in, uh, you know, as well as these kind of hand sanitizers, which again, must remember that these are antibacterial and we're supposed to be fighting a virus. So why they use the hand sanitizers bacterial anyway, it's, it's all a nonsense and people obviously are not uh, necessarily realizing that, but it's, they, it, it's, it does spread out beyond the medical system into a lot of areas of life um, because this, this whole thing is, is based on the germs that are causing the problem. And again, it, it's also affects the food industry, you know, because there's lots of uh, antibacterial um, substances that are put in foods to, you know, preservatives to stop the bacteria. But of course, that's mm. complete misunderstanding of what bacteria actually do. So, yes, I mean, there are lots of ramifications. It's not just the medical system. Well, even in even in our water supplies, I mean, they put uh, chlorine, chlorine yeah. in it and, uh, you know, to, to kill germs, you know, which are... So they poison the water to kill the germs, but of course it makes it toxic for us as well. So, yeah, and, and, you know, I mean, I know they put fluoride in there as well because that's supposed to be good for our teeth, which is proven scientifically to be a load of rubbish. Um, wow. But that's not based but on of the, course, yeah, uh, that is the convenience. It's a no, neurotoxin, actually, fluoride. It, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It is, definitely, yeah. Definitely. Um, I mean, in the UK, in certain areas, they've started adding ammonia as well into the water supply. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, you think, what walked mine thought that went up? So that's why, you know, Don and I recommend to people... Distilled. You need to have a distiller or a reverse osmosis system or some to, at least, to at least make sure that your water that you drink and cook your food in is clean because you can't trust anything that comes from the main water supplies. When you look into it, you know, any of this stuff, you really get a sense of how we're being poisoned on every level possible. I mean, it's yeah. not really an exaggeration. I mean, I was reading uh, the past few days, they, they found benzene in sunscreen, uh, which is a carcinogen pretty serious carcinogen. I mean, and we're supposed to be wearing that to protect against getting cancer, but it's giving us cancer. You know, yeah. I'm, it's just like everything is completely inverted when you look at it and you have to really flip everything on its head and, and look at it through a new lens, you know, but it's really <laughs> mind blowing when you do. Yeah, yeah, completely. I mean, the, you know, telling us or trying to make us believe that the sun is bad for us when of course it's extremely good for us, you know, being outside, uh, not just in the air out in nature but you know in the sun I mean it's not a good idea to be out in the sun so long that your skin burns because that obviously is um, you know damaging it mm. doesn't cause cancer as such I mean but um, you do need to be careful and you know cover yourself up if you're fair skinned or you're going to be well, out for a long time build up your but, there's, but it's but there's well a bit build up as kind of um, uh, re resilience to the sun right. um, but it's not bad for you I mean it's important to be out in the sun and of course they've had us all really you know using the real word of isolation real meaning of isolation we're all isolated kept, well supposedly um, yeah, <laughs> supposed to be not out and about and out in the sun and you know absorbing the sun's rays but no you're absolutely right the 
I mean, there are lots of toxic substances in, in sunscreen, and that is, of course, the problem because it's yeah. your, uh, your skin absorbs it. So um, this, again, is something that we found um, learning of how the body actually works. Mm-hmm. You know, it absorbs toxins in, but it also expels toxins. You know, it's a two-way system. So um, The skin is the body's largest organ, hmm. um, and so it's also one of the main... Uh, organs that uh, the body sort of uh, pushes do- toxins out of the it's body. Elimination it's organs, yes, yes, it's yeah. one of the largest organs. And so when people get spots and rashes and blisters and that coming up on their body, it's a good sign that there's certain toxins that it, the body is pushing out through the skin uh, but that it's not been able to get rid of through the normal methods, which is through urination and excretion. Um, and so, uh, I mean, if it's quite severe intake of toxin, you know, you, you will vomit or uh, get acute diarrhea. So that's a sure well, sign that your body's, you your body's taken in a toxin. But if it's coming in through inhalation, um, the body's very good at coping with it. I mean, obviously it can be overwhelmed, but it will use the skin to get rid of it, which, which uh, depending on what type of skin rashes, blisters uh, come up on the skin and where they come up on the skin, the medical establishment will give various names to them, uh, not least of which is STDs. Yeah, we uh, you knew we'd get there sooner or later. I get a lot of um, questions about <laughs> STDs. Yeah, people, that's a, a big thing for people. It's like, well, I got, you know, I got this from my ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend, or, you know, and I broke up with them. Or, you know, what? how can you say that, you know, there, there's no sexually transmitted diseases? What do, what do you yeah. say to those people? Sure. Well, I mean, the, again, uh, the first thing that people have got to realize um, and, and to do a little bit of research, if they won't believe us, is you've got to get back to basics and say, well, has it been proved <laughs> that there is a germ stroke bacteria stroke virus that has been proved? It's met all the Cox postulates, all the rest of it uh, to cause this particular disease, whether it's uh, herpes or uh, syphilis or gonorrhea or whatever sexually transmitted disease they want to uh say they've got you know that you've got to get back to basics and say where is the proof um but i know the people will just jump to the conclusion because they've had it drilled into them that sexually transmitted diseases exist and uh and therefore they don't go back to first basics you know they don't go back to that bit they just assume if they've come up with a rash and, and because it's in the genital area then it must be a sexually transmitted disease and uh, some poor person male or female gets blamed for it um, <laughs> and, and this has caused huge problems over the decades you know uh, split up partners and uh, caused massive trouble but there is no scientific evidence to prove it and i say that you know i mean we've put a paper up on our site which says there is no such thing as uh, sexually transmitted diseases um and just because it these uh, particularly let's say with herpes if the blisters and that come up uh, in the genital area either on a man or a woman um it, again it's the body pushing toxins out and the only reason it may come out in that area is because the body gets rid of toxins through sweat through the skin and particularly in summertime uh you know um that area can get somewhat more warm and moist <laughs> than other areas where <laughs> sure. you're wearing less clothes so uh so it's good i mean 
the body doesn't care. It just thinks, right, well, get this out. Where's the bed? Right, it can go out through there. But it doesn't mean it's a sexually transmitted disease. Uh, in is, fact, it, in fact it certainly isn't. Well, what I was going to say is there, there is another aspect to this, which is that um, if somebody has something that's given the label of something or other, or whatever it is, mm. then um, the partner may go and get tested and then be diagnosed with an infection because there is a the test de, um, supposedly detects antibodies or whatever because you know especially if it's bacterial, mm-hmm. so they'll be told that they are infected. They may not even have symptoms, so they again they've got uh, they've been told they've got an infection, which of course it doesn't exist, but it's only based on a test result. So sometimes it's just a question of a test result they may not even have symptoms and then they believe that they've been infected. And again, this is the whole language and the whole idea and understanding that it's all based on the, um, that things can be passed. These things are pathogens. They cause disease and they can be passed around. And of course, as David said, there's no evidence. So you're saying if, you know, if I had relations with someone and then I believed them to have uh, an STD, I, I went into the doctor's office and I said, listen, I, you know, I had sex with this person who, who had this, um, you know, can I get tested? And so you're telling me the test would just f- merely find antibodies and just by finding those antibodies, they could find me positive for it? Yeah, that, basically, yes. But I mean, I mean this, the, this... again, the antibody test is is sort of you know dubious as well as to what antibodies are because they are proteins in the body. They're nothing to do with um, germ fighting kind of um, uh, particles in the body that you know that are there in the body to recognise an infection. They're they're there because you've got an infection or anything like that. They are. It's just particles. They're detected. So again, it's based on. Uh, a, a false theory but yes i mean i i think that's a lot of what happens um that people think they may have had something past them or their partner sort of says oh by the way mm-hmm. you think oh i must go and get tested get mm-hmm. tested but mm-hmm. it doesn't mean they've got symptoms this, they've been told right. they've got an infection this used to happen a lot with uh syphilis in the past and it certainly used to happen a lot with uh, the hiv test which again oh. as we said earlier i mean we know we know of people being tested hiv which means nothing at all but because they well and this was this was directly from a doctor who told us uh, and he he, he he it bothers him even to this day because under the normal regime he tested a guy uh, who came up with the test. And so we had to tell him, this guy, that he was HIV positive. Within a couple of days, the guy had committed suicide mm. um, based on the HIV test, which There's means, so much stigma means, attached to it. Uh, and it means nothing. You know, it's, as, as I think you alluded to earlier, you know, under normal, uh, under their rules, under normal circumstances, if you've got antibodies, in their warped mind, that means you're immune to a disease. And they turn that whole thing on its head with HIV, that if you've got antibodies, it means you've got the disease. Well, you know, you just wonder how their minds work. But again, it's all based on nothing at all. And it's not based on any viruses in the same way as they've never, ever found a virus that causes AIDS. They've never, ever found a virus that causes anything. Uh, there has never been any scientific proof, but they conjure up these tests and they've done it for centuries you know they conjure up these tests which they decide to go with 
and they've wrecked, ruined people's lives. As yeah. I say, that's not the only case where people have committed suicide. It's right. happened when we checked with syphilis. I mean, in, the, in America, you used to have to, uh, I think, have a test before you could get married uh, to say that you... Uh, well, it had to be a negative. Yeah, yeah, that you had to have a negative syphilis test before you could even get married. And uh, the same thing we've seen in the records where that has happened to young couples where one or other was uh, diagnosed as being positive for syphilis uh, and they've taken their own lives uh, because of the stigma and because of what they thought, because uh, it's just dreadful. And these are only just small things. So I had a roommate years ago in New York who was a gay man and um, he met someone who he believed gave him HIV and um, but didn't tell him that he was positive. And so my roommate got very angry and started calling him a murderer. And then, you know, his boyfriend ended up jumping in front of a train and killing himself. I mean, and to this day, um, I can't I've been trying to reach him, actually, but I don't I don't know where where he is. Um, I'm sure he's still on medication for HIV. You know, it's a very sad, very destructive thing they did to people. Yeah. Yeah, And and are still doing. I mean, this goes goes back to the 80s. I mean, we're, we're talking 40 years of people people's lives being destroyed based on a lie we know because we were in touch we were in touch with the perth group of doctors in australia uh when we first started doing this research and they were able to tell us of cases in australia where in exactly those same circumstances as you've just said and they were putting people in prison because they were supposedly hiv positive and had sex with someone uh and supposed to have infected them and uh, they were getting prison sentences for that uh, in, in oh, Australia. Yeah. I mean, some dreadful things have happened based on a complete fallacy. And this, this is the real tragedy. It's a complete fallacy. And they've wrecked people's lives. They've caused oh. deaths. Uh, it's, it's just awful. Not, and not only that, of course, is the amount of people that they've killed through the treatment, oh. which, which with AZT. You know, we, we know from our research in it, I know we're going back, cycling back on ourselves, but HIV AIDS was such an important thing. Uh, and still is to many people because many people still believe it exists. Um, and uh, as we found, you know, when they originally started giving people, uh, I mean, it did start with a, uh, a, a fairly small community of homosexual men in the San Francisco area and uh, who were becoming ill and uh, supposedly uh, getting this new disease. And uh, we're going back into the 80s now supposedly getting being diagnosed with this new disease uh, and when we looked into it because that was the first one we were able to find that uh, these homosexual men were becoming ill nothing to do with their sexual practices whatsoever um, they were heavy recreational drug users they were using poppers which is uh, amyl nitrate which uh, gives a high and it's a muscle relaxant but it's also extremely toxic to the body well, particularly uh, to the blood, and uh, one of the main um, AIDS-defining de- diseases at the time was Kaposi's sarcoma, and um, it, it, poppers are the amyl nitrates, they actually affect the blood vessels, so it's not surprising that the blood vessels were poisoned and then led to a, di- a diagnosis of this um, KS, and so, you know, that's a direct link between a toxic substance that was poisoning the blood and then a, a, a blood problem but it went further than that what oh, was wow. what was happening then these 
uh, original homosexual men were uh, obviously ill and going to their doctors who were then giving them high doses of antibiotics, uh, which is toxic, um, which instead of making them better, made them even worse. And so the doctors were then perplexed as to what it was. And so thought that there was a new disease um, in action. And so they then started throwing some uh, more different types of drugs at these poor guys, one of which was AZT or AZT, as uh, some people say, which is an old chemotherapy drug, which had been taken off the shelf, of, off uh, out of service, shall we say. They repurposed it, so, it, right? Yeah. yeah, but it was, it was too, so to toxic. too toxic to be a chemotherapy drug. And the thing, of course, with chemotherapy is that it's only given for a short period of time. And then patients are given a, a kind of a rest period for their bodies to reco recover a little bit before the next kind of course of treatment is given. Whereas with the kind of AIDS patients, it was given continuously. continuously. It was given for life. So there was no respite. Their bodies weren't allowed to recover. And at those high doses, it killed everyone, them. yeah, everyone died. I mean, we, we had information from a German doctor some time ago who looked at all of this. And uh, um, they, they, they said everyone in those early days that were taking that level of AZT, everyone died. You know, we're talking about some famous people like Freddie Mercury. Mm. And, uh, Arthur that Ashen one kills me, Europe, yeah. You know. uh, but they, they were killed by the treatment. In the same way that a lot of cancer patients are, they were poisoned to death, and you know that's quite provable, and it, and it's a huge tragedy. So but Freddie Mercury would be alive that, today if he yes. weren't on AZT. Yes, undoubtedly. Well, probably, <laughs> uh, unless yes. unless he did something else, <laughs> yes. right? Yes. Unless his no, crazy mean, partying yes. didn't get him first. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, yes. In in the context of of what you're saying, you know, yes, that was. Right. Um, and um, so, so a lot of people will find that horrifying, but I, you know, that is. But true. they weren't. They weren't the only ones, of course. There, no. There's thousands have lost their lives through the treatment through the, through the medical establishment. And of course, on you know, they, they are claimed to have died from AIDS, um, but of course, it died from the treatment. And yet again, isn't that a, a parallel? You know, with what's going on now. You know, it's COVID, given a label, yeah. given a label of they've died from the disease, when in fact they've died from uh, the treatments. So, I mean, you know, the um, um, ventilators, sorry, the brain went. Um, mm. So things like the ventilators and the antivirals that they were given in sort of fairly high doses. So particularly old people who were um, had multiple underlying uh, health problems. So mm. their bodies were fairly weak anyway. Um, so that, that's the only reason why there might be sort of some slighter, slightly higher uh, mortality rates but generally we've found that um no one the, dies of covid no we can say that quite categorically yeah. and we've said this many times we challenge anyone anyone anywhere in the world to prove that someone even one person has died of covid because one is we know you can't die of something that doesn't exist mm, and two is and especially in the uk and i think it's the same in the states uh when the government in the uk announced the special measures mm. to uh cope with covid they banned autopsies okay? yeah so they banned autopsies so you think first of all why would you do that why, why would you <laughs> well we know why they do it is so that no one can prove what people are dying of so that's why i say you know <laughs> you prove it you prove someone's died of uh and, and COVID. not only that but I, I don't know about uk but here in the states not only did they stop allowing autopsies but they allowed 
And just for COVID, they allowed assumed cases. They changed the death certificates to allow for assumed COVID-19 deaths. Yeah. Well, we we found cases here. And so there was a, I've often mentioned a very classic one, peculiar to the UK, because we found that doctors, hospitals were just writing, and they were authorized to just write, as you said, assume, we'll just write COVID on the certificate, um, because then there's no autopsy and uh, and there was a quite a famous case uh, of a couple of retired comedians called Little and Large uh, in the UK. You, you won't have heard of them. They were quite famous in the UK. And Eddie Large, the bigger of the two, fundamentally, uh, had suffered with his heart for 10 years. And he eventually went into hospital having a heart attack, you know, and died. And they wrote COVID on his death certificate. And uh, it was quite obvious he died of a heart attack and his family were furious. And so was his uh, comedian partner and they spoke out about it. But that's the sort of thing that was going on. Something as obvious as someone comes in having a heart attack, dies in the hospital almost immediately. And they and they wrote COVID on his death certificate. Heart, this heart disease was a big one. They took all those yeah. numbers and they put it into COVID, right? Yeah. Lots of things they, they put into into COVID, you yeah. know, and uh, uh, and it's quite meaningless. As I say, no one, no one has died of COVID. Uh, and that's uh, that's an absolute fact, because first of all, they've got to prove that that virus exists and is capable of uh, making people ill, let alone killing them. And they've never been able to do that. I mean, we know um, that the lady, Christine Massey, Christine Massey. Oh, yeah. Uh, Sorry. My friend yeah, knows she... her. We've we've gotten a lot of her um oh. her paperwork throughout the, the year and a half, um, basically from institutions around the world, FOIA requests stating yeah. that they have no isolates from anywhere. Yeah. No. They they have no scientific evidence, no. So what paperwork. are they basing their measures on? Yeah. And you have to yeah, you know, so whenever they say oh we we're following the science, I mean the that's the they're not following the science at all. They're just following some agenda, which we might get to talk about later. They're following an agenda which has nothing to do with science. I mean, how is it science when there's no control experiment? Have you have you heard of it not having a control experiment ever in the scientific process? No, no. That, I mean, that is that is one of the basic things. <laughs> that is one of the basic things in science. You always have to have a control. Um, and Veronica, so you can isolate the different effects from each different aspect of the, the experiment that you're right. otherwise how do you know what it really is right exactly you don't have exactly. to be a genius or a scientist to really figure that out you know no no but one of the problems is that um with the the procedures that they've been using in laboratories, I mean, not just virology but in sort of cell biology as well, the procedures they've been using for decades um are pretty much the same kind of thing and um a fairly um well i don't know if you know of um dr harold hillman he was a, a biologist i mean he, he he was pretty outspoken because he was say showing and explaining and writing papers and books back from the 70s to show that the um w- what they were finding in their cell experiments um was pretty much the result of the procedures that they were using but he said that the experimenters weren't taking that into account weren't taking their procedures into account so they were seeing effects um, like the cytopathic effects and blame it 
on something because that's what they were taught their procedures would would show mm -hmm. but they're not realizing that all these toxic substances would have particular effects so you know again then the the effects are down to the procedures not down to the um and aspect that they think that they're looking at whether it's a bacterium or so-called virus or whatever and he called them quite rightly he called them artifacts which is mm -hmm. something that just appears in your petri dish and as dawn has said it's a part it, it's something that's purely due to your methodology it's nothing to do with what is real in the real world and, and one of the things that and this um, is this is if i could just finish oh, that yeah, and this is the big problem with virology and why people like dr stephen Lanker and and us say that virology is not a science because all of the things they do are based on assumptions dogma and uh, uh, poor science well no science basically but so the, the whole of virology. So, you know, as, a, as a, a rule of thumb for people, if information is coming out of a virology lab or it doesn't matter where it is in the world is, you know, just forget about it. It's uh, it's not based on anything real. And that's whether it's a, a new viral infection or even a bacterial one or or a new genetic sequence. I mean, the, <laughs> you know, even that's a fiction. It only exists in a computer. Right, in silico, right? It means yeah. a theor yeah. theoretical computer model, essentially. Exactly. Yeah. And, and then this is what they base decisions on, which affect millions of people worldwide, all based on a fiction. Mm -hmm. But it's based on a fiction for uh, a hidden agenda. Well, not so hidden anymore. I think many people have latched on to what this agenda is. Oh, I uh, wish more would. Uh, it's frightening how many don't realize still, you know. But I, yeah. I, yeah, I'm hoping <laughs> it more will come to light. But these, you know, these people in hospitals, these nurses and doctors, do you suppose that they they really understood what they were doing and they just didn't care? Or were some of them really just ignorant to it? How, you know, how do you suppose that, you know, I've watched things. I watched the documentary with uh, nurse Erin Oshensky, I believe it's pronounced um, early on in the pandemic. And she was a whistleblower nurse here at Elmhurst Hospital in New York, in Queens. And um, that was very eye opening. Um, and she detailed how they were really just killing people with these treatments and ventilators, which kill nine out of 10 people, you know, giving them barotrauma, expanding their lungs and and just giving them all sorts of medication. I mean, when you go on a ventilator, they give you fentanyl or profithal. Those are just yeah. two of the drugs that I can mention. Um, so, I mean, do you do you think how, how do you think that really happened and are they complicit or are they just ignorant? Most of it's born out of ignorance. I mean, and it starts right from basic training. I mean, we, a month or so ago, we did an interview with uh, five nurses who have uh, come out of the profession, all young ladies, and they came out, have come out of the profession because they could see what was going on and they were speaking out of, about it and, you know, were basically given the choice with either shut up or leave, you know, you get the sack. Uh, and they were brave enough to leave. Um, uh, so I'm pleased about that, you know, all due respect to them. But for the majority, um, they're either protecting their paycheck or they're just plain ignorant. They just don't know. And I mean, one of the things we looked into when we were writing our book, because we asked ourselves the same question, because we couldn't believe that all doctors and medical staff were evil people who knew the truth and were just you know, not caring. We didn't, you know, not, we, we thought, well, that can't, that can't possibly be true. So let's have a look at how doctors, uh, medical staff are trained. 
And that's where the root of the problem is, you know. We found, and having talked to doctors as well, including doctors like Andy Kaufman, um, who, who sort of uh, agrees with what our findings were. I mean, in, in short, you know, when a doctor starts their five-year training, um, they're almost learning by rote, you know. They're told that, you know, this virus causes that disease, this bacteria causes that disease, and this is the treatment you give. You know, they don't get to do any actual research uh, they don't get to ask questions like, well, how do you know that virus causes that disease? Where, where are the technical papers for us to study? They, they don't get to do that, not if they want to stay on the course and uh, pass their exam. So after five years of that, um, and then they're out into the world, as it were, with their little certificate that says, uh, you know, I'm, I'm now a qualified doctor. And uh, a huge debt. With a huge debt uh, that they've now got to recoup. So they're now not going to rock the boat because otherwise... Um, they're in real trouble. And so this is the dilemma. So even if they do start to wise up, as it were, and start to learn the truth, most of them are too, well, uh, as Andy Kaufman had said, you know, you come to that point where if you keep studying properly and realize that what you've been taught is wrong and that instead of uh, sticking to your Hippocratic oath, which is first do no harm, they are actually doing harm, not only doing harm, but the treatments they are administering is actually killing people. And that's a real difficult, bitter pill for doctors, anyone, anyone to take on. If you suddenly find out that what you've been doing, in all honesty, is actually harming and killing people. And imagine, and that's why, you know, we're looking at some statistics, uh, the suicide rate in doctors is uh, a lot higher than in the general public there's some of the and most unhealthy might... people right statistically yeah, yeah. and yes and, which and you it could actually be... think you know why would you go to see somebody to give you advice about your health if they don't particularly look healthy <laughs> kind of but at the same time you know but yeah and... I, I mean the, the the problem of course is that once they realize that there's there's a bit of a problem with the system it's a bit, it takes a bit of a problem. yeah okay <laughs> once they realize there's a problem with the system with the practices that they're employing it's very difficult to then um take that step and say well i won't do that anymore because then they've got you know a debt of practice a home they've got the lifestyle what do they do so uh, some of them seem to carry on but maybe that's part of the reason that they do have a slightly higher suicide rate than the general population because they, they find Sometimes they can't handle it anymore. They can't, yeah. they just can't handle it. So they feel yeah. it's too traumatic. But again, I, I don't know, maybe some of them don't, don't quite see it in that way. They don't see it that it's, you know, yes, there's a problem, but maybe it's just, well, um, these aren't the right drugs. We need to find the right ones. Um, maybe there's, well, not maybe, uh, we believe there's quite a lot of pressure from the pharmaceutical industry. Um, and I think it's much more the case uh, in America where they, you know, they're sort of um, getting the doctors to uh, try out all these different drugs for different purposes. Also, the media in America, um, mm. you know, there's lots of advertising. Um, whereas it's not quite the same here, and I, I don't know, it's in different countries. So if people are constantly seeing these wonderful drugs for all their, um, you know, take a pill for every ill or whatever, you know, different pill. Um, so people who feel ill they think oh well I'll try that because they're just so used to this so they'll go to their doctor and say I want this whether the doctor think it's the right thing or not necessarily mm. I think they're much more litigious in in America so they have to be careful what they do um so there's lots of pressures from from all all around 
Um, but but again, could... it's very difficult for doctors to to be able to kind of do something about a, a system that they've been trained in. Mm. And, and many just don't see it in quite that way, that it's such a fundamental problem. But one of the, again, just to give a little bit more information on how uh, doctors come out of out of the end of their training with a completely brainwashed way of working is we found that not only as i say the training was uh, how i just said but we also found that uh, the most of the medical training schools were either fully owned or substantially owned by the pharmaceutical companies <laughs> and that the college libraries were stocked by the pharmaceutical companies and many of the trainers were paid by the pharmaceutical companies so Follow what you're going to get out the end of that system you're going to yeah. get what and i've said this before you're going to get sort of uh, someone who's little more than a drug pusher really uh for the pharmaceutical companies yeah and, a lot of people uh, don't realize that these institutions are really just a great way to kind of like filter information or or direct information you know what I mean? So they only learn the, on, you know, one method of everything, their method of everything, essentially. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, doctors aren't trained um, in nutrition, maybe an hour or two or one, one, you know, one day or whatever in the whole of their five, seven, whatever it is, years. The, uh, they get very little, um, any uh, sort of, say training is not the quite right word, but they get very little sort of in their educational, in their course, they get very little time spent on learning about vaccines. I mean, I was going to ask you that. Do you know yeah. how long they actually spend on vaccines? And not very long at all. Is it? It's um, I don't know, a couple of hours or something. I've, something yeah, like I've heard like a half an hour or an hour or something like that. It's ridiculous. Yeah, well, yes, it's it's not very much at all. I mean, I mean you know, yeah. so therefore they don't understand what vaccines are. They just told right. well, you know. This, this is what you give for this particular thing. And so, you oh, know, vaccines pre prevent disease. But, they, but they've never looked into the history of vaccines, what it's really based on. And, um, you know, we did look into this and we discovered that, again, vaccines are not based on science. There's, there's no science behind them. It's not just that, you know, they're based on the germ theory and the germ theory is wrong, but the whole idea of vaccinations is not based on science. They've never worked. They are not neither they are neither safe or effective i mean uh, on our book you may notice particularly on the back at the top there's a quote from voltaire uh and it says uh doctors are men that prescribe medicines of which they know little to cure diseases of which they know less in human beings of whom they know nothing and that's and, why and that's that has never changed even though that was written in the 1700s i mean yes voltaire was a clever man but uh his saying is as true today as it was then you know they doctors do not understand health they do not understand the disease process uh and they're not trained to do it and i know that's a big statement to make but that's our 10 years of research that's the conclusions we came to and that's been confirmed to us by talking to doctors also uh, so it's not just something we've made up but that's why with this subtitle is why everything you thought you knew about disease is wrong. Because like you were saying earlier about everything being inverted, we're told what we're told about disease is not what what actually happens within the body. So uh, again, as David said with the training, doctors are taught about diseases, that there are different diseases, you know, um, certain um, well, they've all just got all these different names. And so they, they blind them with 
with all these labels that have all got Latin names, so they've got to learn all of that. Um, but there are no different diseases, and and that obviously is is a big. There's just different big, symptoms, just yes, different collections of symptoms, yeah. not different diseases, and that's a that's a big leap, as Dawn said, a big leap for people to make, big leap for doctors. You know, when we've talked to doctors who are still uh, engrossed in their mistaken paradigm uh they just call us insane you know call us names basically i mean insane is one of them um but when you ask them to look at the evidence one is they don't want to so then if you ask them to provide their evidence to prove that this germ or that germ causes they, they just don't want to talk about it because they haven't got it they haven't got that evidence and we know they haven't got that evidence so they just rather resort to calling us names and that's a sure sign they <laughs> that uh, they've lost the battle right you know? i've got i've gotten that a lot and um you know even a dr lanka had a famous case with measles i'm sure you know about um yes uh, you know i think he offered a hundred thousand dollars for anybody who could prove measles uh, exists meaning the virus exists yeah and somebody took him to court and to this day if you go if you just go on google it will say that he lost the case but it yeah. fails to mention that he appealed the case to the Supreme Court and won. They were Absolutely. never able to prove that measles was a real virus. Yeah. And that's been the case. I think they're offering money for, for SARS-CoV-2 as well. Uh, yes. Millions no. of dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, no, and, nobody, and nobody's ever taken it up. Now, you'd have thought if they could prove it, someone's going to go for that. It was actually 100,000 euros. Yeah. It was Stefan Lanker offered that money, or his backers did. Uh, but there's a little twist to that one. Um, yes, you're quite right. In the Supreme Court, he won his case. The medical establishment could not prove that a virus caused measles. And yet just a, a year, a couple of years later, the German government mandated that school children in Germany should be vaccinated against measles, mm. which just shows, again, they're not working to science. They're just working to some other agenda. You know, in their own court, it had just been proved that there is no such thing as a virus uh cause measles so, while we're on the while we're on the subject of measles i did get a question from one of my uh telegram group members about a measles party and chicken yeah. pox and you know yeah. they everybody's heard stories about or has you know personal stories about going to a party with other kids and catching the chicken pox or catching the measles uh yeah. how do you explain that uh those forms of childhood illness that seem to be yeah. you know caught from each other okay well, okay. the first thing is that um, even though say, oh, you know, go to a party and they get, um, but not every single child get will um, develop those spots. Because again, but this is the other thing of what we're saying about, you know, what you think about disease is wrong. Because it's, again, it's, it's embedded in the language that we get disease, but they're not diseases and they're not things that you get. These are conditions that develop within the body. As Dave was saying before, you know, um, uh, spots and things that, that come out through the skin uh, are, are um, spots are just the, the skin, the body expelling uh, toxins through the skin. So, you know, that that's a normal but just way. To, but just to clarify the point, I mean, first of all, because we've just talked about Dr. Stefan Lanker's case. So the measles one, you know, we've just said there is no virus that causes measles. OK, and people need to realise that. OK, so if your kids go to a party and come up in spots, it's nothing to do with the virus because it's actually been proved in the Supreme Court of law <laughs> that that's impossible. So 
they're going to say, yes, but my little Johnny or whatever got spots on. Well, okay, we're not denying that uh, something's happened. But don't think that it's an infection. Mm-hmm. Now, then you start to think, well, what could it be? Well, what happens when kids of a certain age go to parties, you know? Well, what is it they eat and drink? Well, it's about every toxic waste you can think of, isn't it? You know, <laughs> with the colored jellies and cakes and sweets sure. and uh, fizzy drinks, uh, all of which are, have toxic colorings in them and high sugar rates. And so what's going to happen to the body? It's going to start detoxing, you know, because it wants to get all of that rubbish out. And it can come out in all sorts of ways. You know, they may have been vomiting. They may have been uh, get diarrhea. It may come out through the skin or all of those things. You know, so that's one thing. But another thing that people often forget is certain of a, children of a certain age, um, if they've been vaccinated, they've been all vaccinated at a certain age. I mean, you know, children, are they're barely out of the mother's womb before the medical establishment wants to stick a hypodermic in them and start pumping some vaccine or other into them. So it is, so all of those children get vaccinated at a certain age and they will start detoxing throughout their lives. And those detox symptoms uh, then get labelled childhood illnesses by the medical establishment well, because they don't want to say, well, it's actually your child's detoxing from all the poisons that we keep putting into it every few months or so, um, as well as that. So uh, so you've got several factors that uh, people need to look at as to why little Johnny or Mary or whatever is coming out in rashes and spots or feeling ill. Uh, there, can, other... there can be a variety of reasons, but the one thing we are absolutely sure of, it's not a virus. It's not a germ. Uh, and certainly in the case of measles, it's been proven in a court of law that it's not a, a germ. So the th- these po- are the things they need to think about. There is always a reason why someone gets ill. We're not denying that people get ill, but it's a case of what is the reason. And as regards infection and contagion, they have never been proved. The medical establishment has tried to prove it. They did in the so-called Spanish flu in 1918. Yeah. They tried to prove uh, infection and they couldn't. The Rosenau uh, experiments, I believe yeah. it's called. Yeah. One, one point, if we can stick with the Parsons before we move on to, because I know yeah. you want to talk about that as well. Yes. Um, but before we move on to that, but one of the other things is um, small children in parties, they get very excited. Um, they get hot, their metabolism increases. So that could be another um, way of uh, bringing the body mm. into uh, initiating some kind of detox, you know, because the, the body obviously, you know, sweats, well, you know, even children, if they get hot, they can get sweaty. So that can be part of uh, initiating a, a detox. And so those kinds of things can so, happen. So it happens all at the, the same other time. Thing, yeah. Yes. And the other thing is um, not to forget the, the whole like the, the whole kind of um, ideas and beliefs that people have um, within the society. And again, as I say, these these ideas are embedded in language. So um, people say, oh, you know, let's get to get you all together for chicken pot for a party so that you can all get it. You can all um, have your spots. And, and so this is embedded in the language. And, and it's it's important to remember that these um, ideas and beliefs can actually have a physical effect. And so if children are told that, you know, they need to get together and they'll get this disease. And so these these things can actually manifest um, your ideas and your beliefs can manifest. There's a huge mental system. aspect to things, right? Yeah. yeah. Yes. You've got uh, the... And it's not just the mind over matter. And I know there are a lot of people who think, oh, you know, dismiss it. But it's actually very real. And so if 
if there's a lot of talk about, well, let's get you all together and then you can all get this over and done with because it's it's believed that once, you know, uh, children get this particular condition that they'll never get it again. And that's not true either. Mm. But it's the idea of, oh, well, if you get it while you're young, um, then it's less serious. But but these, but that's what I'm saying. It's, it's the it's whole language. Effect. It's the whole language of, getting a disease thinking it's a disease thinking it's something that you get that attacks you but it's not these are all the symptoms are what the body develops depending on its internal conditions so a a person who's uh, or a child who is healthy and has not been vaccinated doesn't have all the sugar laden sweets has a healthy diet doesn't have any um sort of any toxins in the body won't necessarily necessarily develop those spots so they won't get whatever it is that's spread around and as i said before not every child will have the same symptoms well, the, but placebo also effect, have the placebo levels. the placebo effect or nocebo effect in this case being the the opposite of placebo effect it is is a medic even recognized by the medical establishment that this strong belief in something actually causes can cause the actual event to manifest in the body. And we, even within the records of the medical establishment, you know, with the, they used placebo pills even today in their drug trials. And people who think they've had a particular drug will exhibit the symptoms. We even uh, came across a case of, would you believe, placebo surgery? And this was a uh, doctor. Yes, I know. We were shocked when we first came across it. I can't remember the doctor's name or the surgeon's name. Bruce Mosley, I think. Bruce Mosley? Okay. But uh, he was uh, well-versed in uh, arthritic knee surgery. And uh, they did an experiment uh, where, obviously, the usual thing of two groups of people who are going to have this uh, knee surgery because they're in pain. And the one group had the normal surgery which was the incisions in the knee and the normal flushing out and all the rest of it and the, and uh, the incisions sewn up again the other group obviously unknown to them uh, the incisions were made in the knees but nothing was done and they were just sewn up again but they didn't know and they found that the people who had not had the actual surgery had just as good a recovery from the knee pain as the people who had had the full surgery uh, and this is so this was placebo surgery. In fact, the surgeon is on the record as saying he was so surprised and shocked by it that he thought he was going to stop doing knee surgery because it was a complete waste of time. Wow. Uh, so this, yes, I know. Shocking, isn't it? But this is in the medical records. Mm. Um, and this is the power of the mind uh, over the body. So it's hardly surprising coming full circle back to kids or parents expecting their kids to come up with spots and rashes and mm-hmm. telling them as to why they get is is that you know in some of the cases that uh, sure enough that's what happened so if they're not sort of uh, intoxicated or <laughs> from the toxic waste that they're eating and drinking at the party uh they probably is the placebo or nocebo effect taking effect that they expect to come away from there with spots and rashes and sure enough that's what they do so we're just trying to sort of say to people that there are always reasons as to why people get ill but it's nothing to do with germs. There will be a much more plausible reason. And that's what we explain many of these cases uh, in the book. And that's, again, why it's so big and why it took 10 years of research. I mean, because we went right back in history, you know, 
even back to, I know you've got on the list there, whether we get to talk about it this time, I don't know, but <laughs> even right back to the Black Death, what that, that was always yes. all about. The Spanish flu, AIDS, smallpox, all of the things, both in past and present. And wherever we looked, and, and we did these investigations, not only for humans, but also for animals to say, well, uh, is, does it work for animals? So let's have a look at some animal diseases. And, uh, and we found exactly the same. Um, nearly always with animals, it was uh, poisoning of some sort that was making them ill. And uh, we studied those cases too. And we've written about them in the book, uh, not least of which was mad cow disease, which was very uh, prevalent in the UK back in the day. Pasteur, the father of germ theory, he actually poisoned his animals in his experiments, right? Yes. And and uh, the story goes that on his deathbed, he said he admitted that, you know, the germ is nothing. The terrain, meaning your body, is everything. Yes. Well, I'm, I, I'm and, not and his, sure if that's one of those kind of, I'm not sure if... Is it true? Is, not, is it just a myth? I don't know. That's what I've heard. Well, I... I, I we can't prove... We can't prove that we've come across it. I think it, that was actually Claude to... Bernard who is reported to have said that, not not Pasteur, but I know there's sort of mm. sometimes some confusion. Um, but one thing we know, because obviously there's there's been a lot of uh, reporting that his diaries were found and a lot of his yes. experiments and his actual, uh, what he, his work was pretty fraudulent. So, um, and he was a plagiarist, you know, he's not the hero he's made out to be. And that's why he'd asked for, mm. for his diaries and papers to be destroyed on his death yeah. now why would you do that you know surely you'd <laughs> right. want to you'd want to be famous wouldn't you and go down in history but he still he still got the uh, the pasteur institute named after him in france so uh, yeah. um so we still and there's a robert cockins uh, yeah well, exactly so, yeah. and yeah. neither of these people are the heroes that they're supposed to be yeah. but i mean we've got pasteur to thank for rabies basically another non-existent disease you know when we investigated it there is no germ infection um called rabies uh, but again the medical establishment or in one way or another pharmaceutical companies make loads of money in people having to have their poor pets vaccinated against rabies but it doesn't actually exist you know the symptoms of rabies when in, in a dog is always found out to be neglect uh lack of nutrition uh, abuse um poisoning, poisoning. Yeah. there's never been uh, a germ actually found that causes it. It's a non-existent disease, which again they they make stacks of money out of, um, and uh, and so it goes on. We we can, <laughs> whether we looked at animals or humans, and whatever disease we looked at, and we looked at a lot, which we write about in the book. There has always been a much more plausible explanation for why the people get ill, and never any proof. And I'm talking scientific proof, not just hearsay. Never any scientific proof that it's been caused by a germ, any germ. Um, and, and that's really what our book explains. And uh, this current nonsense with coronavirus falls into that same category. There is no proof about it. And yet look what they've done to the world. Yeah. You know? uh, so, yeah. <laughs> and well, speaking of, of animals, you know, what, what did happen during the Black Death? Because that's a big one and one that I haven't really specifically researched too much on myself. Uh, but I've heard theories everywhere from like, uh, you know, a comet had something to do with it to, uh, you know, I don't know, rats. Um, yeah. What, what was well, the that's the original. There? 
Yeah, I mean, the original um, uh, theory, shall we say, is uh, that it spread through uh, rat fleas, uh, sorry, uh, through rat fleas that spread a particular bacterium. And um, for some reason, suddenly in that particular period, uh, rats suddenly uh, multiplied in numbers and, and this, uh, that their fleas uh, were spreading uh, this incredibly dangerous disease and it, it killed millions of people. Um, but I mean, when you actually, when we started looking into that, um, we thought, no, this doesn't make any sense. And we did find um, some information by um, uh, Professor Mike Bailey, who's a dendrochronologist, who had looked into um, what was going on in that particular era. And um, so he, what he found was that the tree rings he was studying were showing definite sort of environmental uh, an environmental trough, as he called it. So there's definitely something happening in the environment. Um, but as well as explaining that, he'd, he'd actually found various con uh, contemporary records, uh, writings of people who were talking about a, a corrupted atmosphere, who were talking about seeing um, uh, trees covered in dust, seeing um, dead fish and animals at the waterside, um, all kinds of things that we think, well, hang on a minute, that's got nothing to do with rats running around and spreading their fleas and, and you know, what's what's the sort of trees covered in dust got to do and with rat no fleas? And there's no reports in the contemporary records of the time of lots of dead rats lying around because apparently, around. apparently, you know, the, the rats were susceptible to this too. So it was a case of the fleas, the infected fleas were supposed to kill the rats and then once they've killed their host, they were sort of jumping onto human beings. So you'd have expected reports, contemporary reports at the time, to say there was lots of dead rats lying around, but those reports are not there. But they do report that the atmosphere became, and these are the local people, that it became stinking and choking and difficult to breathe. You know, these are contemporary reports of the time. And as Dr. said, in the lakes and rivers, fish were floating to the surface dead. Well, obviously, they're not going to be affected by rat fleas, are they? So something toxic is happening. And Professor Bailey could see that the uh, the tree rings were much reduced. So something was stopping growth of trees. But he also cross-referenced it with ice core samples and could see that, in again, in that period, um, the atmosphere was very polluted, uh, not least of which was with uh, ammonium which is extremely toxic and would explain why people were reporting a stinking and choking atmosphere. And also contemporary with those times, there were a series of earthquakes, uh, some quite major ones. I think there was a major one in January, was it 19, uh, 13, 13, 1348? Yeah. yeah, 1348, a major earthquake. Now, and, the, and that was not just one, there was quite a number of them. Well, whenever the earth opens up, it often releases all sorts of noxious fumes so and yes you're quite right there are eyewitness reports of a comet uh, coming in close to the earth you know these are eyewitnesses they saw it so whatever people might think about comets these people were seeing something which could have contributed to it so you've got the reports which we're all saying about this stinking choking poisonous atmosphere you've got poisoned water with the lakes you haven't got lots of dead rats so we also looked at the spread of it as well. Mm -hmm. And people who know these things calculated that because it spread so quickly around the world, and particularly over Europe, that if it was reliant upon an infection being passed from rat flea to person and so on, 
that it's moved so quickly, it was almost instantaneous across Europe, that it would be impossible to do that. Right. If it was a gas, you know, the atmosphere, then that would be much more liable. So all the evidence showed that it was something else other than rat fleas. But, but in addition, we, we sort of looked a little bit deeper as well, not just relying on that because, you know, we get asked questions. So we actually found um, some other work that showed that there, there were some major climatic changes around the time that started at the uh, towards the end of the 13th century and went on into the 15th century. So it covered that whole period. Um, so there were major changes. There was a, a, an El Nino, uh, which again sort of changes how the, the sort of weather patterns, there were massive droughts in areas uh, and there were massive floods in other areas. So they were obviously causing a lot of problems with food production. So famine, so people were dying of all sorts of things. And again, you know, it's so much more convenient to just blame it on a, a bug, some kind of germ. But, you know, there were lots of other things going on at the same time. And yet they insist um, on it being uh, a, a bacteria, a, a germ, a bacterium. Mm. Um, and recently, um, I, I, well, I think a few years ago, they supposedly um, uh, found the genetic material of the Yersinia pestis, which is claimed to cause uh the black death or the plague sorry i should say uh because they've been it's not wasn't just that one episode there have been others but not as serious okay. so they claimed found the genetic code of it or you know the genome so now that apparently proves it you know again it's it's based on the same completely for flawed models of, of looking at genetic material but even if they found genetic material it still doesn't prove that whatever that genetic material is was attached to a a deadly pathogen it, it just you know it's it doesn't prove it and yet because they say that's what they've found and it belongs to this particular bacterium that proves it no that doesn't prove it you still haven't proved that, that causes that as disease. always as always they'll turn the facts inside out to try and prove their point i mean they do it the medical establishment does it all the time and we cite lots of cases in it you know and they'll come up with new ideas like uh, asymptomatic Right. This is a <laughs> That's a good one. Eh? A asymptomatic. This is been this is invented by the medical establishment to uh, cover their backsides when they <laughs> to try and make out where people can be perfectly healthy but carrying the disease. So straight away it flies in the face of Cox postulates, which says you know uh, you know you can't have a healthy person with the germ. So straight away, asymptomatic flies in the face of that, where they're saying, no, you can have the germ, but not be ill, and you can carry and give it to someone else. Absolute nonsense, never been proven, complete nonsense, but it's the sorts of things they do to try and get themselves out of a hole. And we, we come across this a lot. Uh, another one is uh, autoimmune diseases. This is when they can't find anything to blame it on. They can't find a bacteria or a virus. So they say, well, it's the body attacking itself. You know, which, again, totally unproven and uh, again whenever we look at those so-called autoimmune diseases there's much more plausible reasons you know i'm thinking of things like multiple sclerosis and things like that uh, which they class as an autoimmune disease the body is now attacking itself totally unproven but the real reasons can be proven not least of which with multiple sclerosis is uh, emfs that's a, a, a cause of it and uh, again poisoning where it uh, Either of those things can damage the myelin sheaths on the nerves. And so you get uh, these neurological uh, illnesses. But it's mm. nothing to do with the body attacking itself. 
it's poisoned in one way or another, you know, damaged, basically. Um, uh, but also, that, no, I was going to say, um, uh, another thing that that's, seems to have reared its ugly head again uh, with in connection with COVID is this whole idea of a prion disease, which is um, goes back again to sort of mad, ca mad cow disease, because that was... Uh, blamed on a prion, which is just a, a word or a name for a, a misfolded protein. Mm -hmm. And apparently the, the misfolded protein is, is blamed for causing some kind of disease. Whereas we've found it's again, it's the other way around that um, some kind of toxic um, assault on the body can cause proteins to become misfolded. Um, but because the body body is sort of amazing, it can actually restore the, the sort of folding. But it's not that the folded pro misfolded protein causes the problem. It's actually the result of the problem. And it's they're doing everything they can, as you were saying, you know, so much toxicity everywhere. But they're doing everything they can to divert attention away from the real causes of illness and, and health problems mm. and just always blame, blaming these germs even if so-called germs even if they're not even living organisms like you know these particles called viruses again we we say particles called viruses because we can't even say that we can't even refer to viruses because there's no no real sort of entity as as a virus it's just particles that have been given that <clears> label <throat> so, what, they, um, what they are just in case people are unclear these particles which they've named viruses are just cellular or tissue debris when a cell dies and breaks up, which, which they do in their millions, trillions probably every day, this is the natural process of life as they're replaced in the body. And when they break up into bits and pieces, it's these bits and pieces that they saw under their electron microscope and started giving names to them when they called them viruses and started attributing uh, as if they were disease carrying pathogens or that they could attack the body in some way and but never proving it and that's what these particles are uh, uh i've often explained it to people and saying imagine a small pane of glass that you drop on the floor and it smashes into let's say 100 pieces uh and that's representing the cell breaking up and each of those pieces is a different size and shape and then virologists come along and start looking at those broken pieces and start giving different names to those broken pieces and assuming that this size piece will cause that disease and this bit will be something else. And, and it's as stupid as that, but never proving it, never proving their assumptions. And this is the this is the sorry state that we're in with virology. As I say, it's not a science. And that's why Dr. Stefan Lanker will it refuses to be called a virologist because it's a, it's it's a nonsense. And he doesn't want to be associated with it. He's you can only call him a microbiologist because he'll be very offended if you call him if you call him a virologist. And, and as um, you said, you know, viruses are are dead de particles essentially, right? So it's it's every, funny because yeah. if you've ever gone to an allopathic doctor and, and they think you have a virus, they won't give you antibiotics because antibiotics kill life, right? Anti against yeah. bio life. Anti so and yes. they know that so they won't give you they'll just be like oh go home you know and and recover there's nothing we can do for you because it's a virus so mm. it's really funny when you hear these things like oh we've put live virus in this vaccine or or you know all manner of give, giving this this waste particle life yeah uh, i mean even under their own 
scientific terms, um, a virus, these particles that they're calling a virus, you know, for anything to be alive, it has to meet certain criteria. You know, it has to be able to eat, excrete, reproduce, and have a certain minimum DNA. And these particles don't have any of those attributes. So basically, not alive. And yet, they blame just about anything you can think of on a particle that's not alive that can somehow invade people's bodies and reproduce, <laughs> which it's never been proven to do, and make them ill. You know, it's a complete nonsense. And as there is no science behind it at all. So, uh, and it's would be so easy. It's so easy to prove the fallacy of the germ theory that the biggest mystery to us is why more people, particularly doctors, who have access to the same information that we've bothered to look for, and they don't have to spend 10 years. I mean, they could just read our book because it's all there. It will tell them where to look. Um, but of course, they won't do that because they're too, they have too much pride for that. Yeah. But they could do a little research their own. If, if it was only, well, as we said to them, well, just look for the papers. Look for the scientific papers yourself that's supposed to prove that that virus causes the said disease. But they won't. Um, now, whether it's because they know that they know they're not there um, or they're just afraid to or just too proud to look uh, because they know the consequences, as we said early on in this discussion, once they've proved to themselves that there is no proof a virus makes you ill, then their whole world, medically speaking, collapses. And, and their paycheck. And their paycheck goes with it, yeah. yeah. But now's not the time to be kind of, you know, covering up these, um, well, I should say cracks. I mean, they're, they're absolute chasms in um, what's going on in the, the sort of medical system. Um, I, I mean, it's it's got to come out eventually, you know, because this is unacceptable. But it's one of the reasons that we we oh, make we make such um, such a point of putting out the information that you know the germ theory, uh, well, you know, that viruses never been proven to cause disease. No virus has been proven to cause disease, quite simply because um, I, I think, as many people have said as well, um, if if we don't get this message out, they can pull this stunt again. Yeah. And, you know, there are other kind of noises in the background of things like um, um, uh, sort of, you know, oh, Ebola outbreak. And I, I saw something recently, uh, somebody sent me a link. Um, they're now talking about a possibility of monkeypox, uh, <laughs> these sorts of things coming out. They, there are also connections with um, HIV with um, sort of COVID as well. So they're bringing all sorts of other ideas that if, if this one falls apart, they can fall on, uh, you know, other ideas, other yeah. so-called, you know, um, pathogenic, you know, so-called pathogenic yeah. uh, particles or bacteria, viruses, whatever. Um, but we've got to say, no, there's no proof for any of them. And this has to stop because we cannot have this keep right. happening. You know, people need to realize that it's it's time to stop believing in these phantoms because they're not really the well they're not at all the reason that people get ill you know it's a well, completely and it, different and it's costing the lives of millions literally worldwide yeah. you know the yeah. it has cost the lives of millions yeah. over the last 150 years countless millions and it's continuing to do so and it's and it's accelerating uh, and this is the really scary thing so it's not only the amount of lives that it's uh, costing unnecessarily yeah. But it's also giving uh, political and economical power to the people 
I'm talking about now the COVID situation to the people who have put this in motion. You know, they warned us, didn't they, in their little pantomime that they had in 2019, in October of 2019, mm -hmm. where they had their roundtable conference of supposedly to talk about a supposed fictitious virus that might arise in China. Just a coincidence. Um, yes, sure. yeah, wasn't it? <laughs> and, and they told they, they sort of said everything they were going to do. Yeah. And then literally a few months later, literally a few months later, sure enough, it happened. You know, they, they weren't even they, they were so cynical about it. They even had it arise in China, you know, even though it was supposed to have been a, a fictitious uh, uh, a thing uh, when they talked about it in October. But uh, they, they went by their little plan. And of course, one of the things that they said they were going to do was to uh, make sure that they controlled the narrative, that they were going to make sure that uh, they controlled the media, that they did not allow any dissenting voices. And of course, that's exactly what they've done. And we've all been suffering from censorship, quite illegal, oh, yeah. uh, which shouldn't ever happen in a democracy anyway, mm -hmm. and certainly shouldn't happen at all. I, I never uh, thought I'd live to see any any day where I was censored on. And I mean, I've been censored so many times, I've forgotten how many. Um, you know, you, you can't talk about any of this stuff. It's it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, well I, I hope this interview, you're going to put it somewhere other than uh, uh, YouTube, because yes. it, it'll be down within minutes. <laughs> I, I totally expected that. So, um, you know, unfortunately, many people just gravitate toward YouTube. So I had to include it in the bunch. But I'll be on BitChute, Odyssey, uh, Rumble. You can find me everywhere. Yeah. Um, oh, but I hope good. YouTube, you know, maybe stops censoring people and, and lets them have their, their voice. And uh, we can well, talk about things. And, you know, if you don't agree with something, you can just disprove it and put out your idea on it like it's supposed to be. Yeah, you know? exactly. If, well, that's if, it. The burden of proof is on the person uh, proposing a theory. You know, it's not for us to um, prove what we're the, saying they have to prove what they're saying the germs, and we're saying where is your proof and we keep saying where is your proof christine yeah. massey keeps saying where is your proof where is your proof you know and all these right. foyer requests she's not the only one but lots of other people are sending out requests um and there's just as you said you know they keep coming back and saying you know we we don't have this information and say so, well if you don't have the information why are you doing this you know but of course you know you can't then go back because it's you know it's um, there are the layers behind it, and these are political things. It's nothing to do with, it's not a medical situation, it's not a health problem. But people need to understand that the, the essence to, or, or the way out of this, the solution, is they've got to realise that the medical establishment is not, um, it's not there to help them <clears throat> and to help their health. So they've got to take back control and responsibility for their own health. And that actually is, is a big step for an awful lot of people. Um, but it's more important than ever that they do that because otherwise they'll be just keep going down this route of more and more um, chemicals or well, interventions, <laughs> whether it's treatments or preventions or whatever else is going on that then that will interfere with their health. You know, the, the medical system doesn't provide ways of recovering from health. You, you know, you, you, health doesn't recover. So you need to find ways where you can restore health. And that means you have to understand what 
disease actually is. What really is, makes you ill. So, yes, mm-hmm. and again, which is why, you know, um, what really makes you ill has got nothing to do with what the medical system, medical establishment is about. And I realise... Huge, huge, huge. I realise that uh, we probably might be running out of time. So I think for the benefit of your audience, I'd like to at least say that our book does give solutions too. You know, it's not all about pointing <laughs> out the problems. No. We do actually give solutions because what we found over our 10 years was that there are the actual factors that do make you ill, i.e. what really makes you ill, boil down to four factors, which we do explain, which is uh, lack of correct nutrition, uh, overload of toxicity, um, overexposure to electromagnetic frequencies, and long, uh, prolonged uh, emotional stress. So those were the four factors, and we found... Uh, that it was always a combination of those that was actually making people ill. And so those are all things pretty much that you can get control of. Obviously, you can look at your food and your diet. I mean, Dawn and I recommend a plant-based diet. Uh, we've we've had a plant-based diet for decades, so we know it works. And we're pretty healthy. We don't take drugs of any sort, and we don't need to go to the doctor or anything like that. So we know it works. And, of course, there are thousands of people around the world. I know... There are people that would argue that you need meat, but you don't. You don't need it. I mean, you might want it because it tastes nice, but you don't need it. Mm. And, of course, there's all sorts of ethical things come into it as well. I mean, there's an ethical side to wanting to have animals slaughtered just so you can have a, a dinner in an evening. Uh, yeah. But th- these, are, these are things that people have to decide for themselves. But from a health point of view, uh, you certainly don't need meat. And you're much better without it because of all the things they do to meat. I mean, don't yeah. forget they inject all sorts of things into all types of meat. So uh, it's we recommend a whole food, plant-based, organic uh, diet because uh, one that, of the points with that is also to it's it's not just about sort of meat or plants, but it's also to point out the problems with processed foods, yeah. uh, a convenience foods, so packaged, to, you know, uh, pre pre prepared. Um, food products. I mean, we, we don't call them foods, they're sort of food products. Uh, and again, we kind of go in the book in, into the detail with a lot of the additives in these food products. And they really are just chemicals and, and there's very little actually, uh, very few nutrients in those products. So you're not nourishing your body. And that's why we say, you know, um, proper food. Uh, so plant-based, uh, you know, organic. organic. And yeah. so if you're actually having real food. So it's, it's to understand what food is about. It's not just, you know, what you grab in a supermarket. It's, it's real mm. produce. And this is, this is, as Dawn is saying, the dangers, because people who've looked into it know that uh, people like Bill Gates started to jump onto pr- production of uh, vegan food. Now, mm. you know that when that guy gets involved in anything, you know, he's, yeah. he's not exactly altruistic, is he, in his actions? So... Yeah. Uh, and of course, they there are still said they're producing packaged processed food. It's very easy to produce something that you can write vegan on it, you know, so it doesn't contain any animal products, but it just it just contains a load of other <laughs> poisonous stuff. So chemicals, you know, chemicals. So you know, being vegan doesn't mean that you're going to be healthy. You've got to go for a uh, whole food, uh, plant based diet. You know, proper work, food, not. Yeah. And uh, so that's it. The toxins, I mean, we talk a lot in the book and we show most, if not all, of the various ways that uh, toxins, uh, you can come into contact with toxins, toxic materials, you know, whether it's 
in the air, the atmosphere, what you drink, <clears throat> what you eat, uh, even your clothes, you know, with uh, dyes and uh, you know, even cleaning products. Cleaning you know, so products, we talk right. about, yeah, we talk about all of those so that at least people can see how they can avoid it and get alternatives. EMFs is a little bit more difficult. You know, we're all bombarded by electromagnetic frequencies, mm. but there are things that you can do to uh, help yourself. I mean, you can, uh, like, like me, I mean, uh, I'm a, an electrical engineer. I mean, this is something, I'm not saying buy this because it means nothing to me. I don't, uh, I don't have any shares in the company, but they're little meters, uh, EMF meters, where you can check what's going off in your house. Very easy to use. That's why I, that's called a trifield meter. It's actually made in America, that one. Um, but you can easily check what's going off in your house where yes. the possibly high levels of uh, EMFs are coming from. And then you can either move to a different place, you know, away from your router or your, uh, wherever it's coming from. But you can also see what's coming through the walls of your house, which might be coming from your next door neighbor, for instance, yeah. which you can't see physically, but you can see with that if you're in your nice favorite armchair, if you're sitting next to their router, which is just on the other side of the wall and bombarding you <laughs> while you sat having your uh, cup of coffee or something. So quite or a useful... even if you're in flats, I suppose, upstairs and downstairs. Yeah, so again, you know, you, you can kind of find out where the higher um, meter readings are so that you can move things around. And I mean, there are cases where children have had, uh, the sort of study papers say that children have had um, uh, developed all kind of sort of leukemia and they were found that mm. there, uh, where they were sleeping, there was a smart meter or something the other side yeah. or those electrical cables or, or something. Um, so they were exposed to it the, the whole time that they were sleeping. Of course, young children sleep quite a lot. So again, these these are all sorts of things that you need to look at. I mean, not a lot you can do. A... Sorry, Sorry. Oh, that's one thing that's really difficult for people too, because it is this like invisible thing, and you know, immediately people have been kind of conditioned to think, oh, well, that's a conspiracy theory, you know, five G and all, all this stuff that you hear. Um, but there, when you look into the science of it and you can read, you know, major publications, uh, on electromagnetic radiation, it is, you know, it does affect our health. And, um, I think to an extent that people don't realize, so it needs to be, uh, really studied and, and researched because we're absolutely, especially today being bombarded by those things. And that's something yeah. I've been studying, uh, all year, uh, really interested in it. I'm going to be talking to actually Arthur Furstenberg in the next episode uh -huh. who wrote invisible rainbow. Yeah. Um, so well, he'll, yeah. he'll, he'll certainly give you a chapter and verse on it. Uh, <laughs> that's for sure. We've, we've read his book. Uh, so, but, but we read it after we, um, published ours. So we don't actually refer to it, although we do refer to quite a, uh, within the book uh, to EMFs and, you know, got yeah. our information from various there's, sources. But there's been it. lots of research for many mm. decades now on EMFs. Uh, these are, these are real things, but of course the government, uh, refuse to listen to the true evidence because they're, in bed let's say with the telecommunications companies who are mm. big 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 rich companies maybe even richer than the pharmaceutical companies so huge amounts of money and therefore the guidelines that governments set are based on what's called the heating effect okay so they set the levels of emf exposure for humans based on how much those radiations heat up heat up the cells of your body in the same way a microwave does now, all of the research by proper scientists 
show that damage occurs to the cells long before they start to heat up. So, but the governments won't listen to that, even though there's lots of scientific evidence that shows this damage is caused before cells start to show any form of heating up, <laughs> for heaven's sake. Um, but they won't listen because they're being told what to do by uh, these uh, money people. Mm -hmm. So people need to take it into their own hands and do sensible things. You know, I mean, we, we advise people, I mean, everyone's got a mobile phone, most likely a cell phone is don't hold it to your head, you know, yeah. use hands free. So keep it away from your head. Uh, don't, don't put it under your pillow at night. Don't even have it in the bedroom at night, you know, leave it in another room. It doesn't need to be there. Keep yourself away from these things. If you can switch off your router, your Wi-Fi router, switch it off at night. If you can, I know. Yeah, I do. Not possibly. Yeah. yeah. So it's taking little precautions. I mean, I found that my uh, I had uh, cordless telephones in the house and I found that the base stations put out a huge amounts of uh, energy. And uh, so they got chucked away, you know, and I went back to either wired phones or or using the cell phones, but uh, using it in a, a much more sensible way. Uh, so it's little things like that. Another thing which people is very popular with people, and that's Bluetooth ear plug earphones isn't i it? tell you know? i tell my girlfriend all the time take those things out of your ears and she won't yeah. listen to me so no. yeah please continue <laughs> yeah i mean well i, I hope she's listening i'd got uh, she won't. and, and I, I was guilty of this myself you know i had some really nice ones you know and i loved them they were beautiful so yeah. convenient but i tested them with meters like this one some time ago of course and i was horrified at the amount of energy they put out you know it's uh literally like putting a radio transmitter in your head when you stick these <laughs> things in. I mean, it literally is. So you're bombarding your brain at close range with radio signals. So, you know, they went back in their box and they're on a shelf and I shall never use them again. Mm. And you have to make these sensible decisions because you are seriously damaging yourself to the point of view of can cause a brain tumor. And, you know, it's too late at that stage to say, well, I wish I'd listened to that advice. Um, and that's why there is a rise in the amount of brain tumors and particularly in younger and younger people because they start off with mobile phones at the age of eight yeah, and yeah. Uh, and bluetooth earphones and you know it's it's just dreadful what is happening you know it's um and as in a few years time there's going to be such a, a real pandemic of uh, brain tumors you know uh, and, and you can watch your life. It's always next to the ear where they mostly use their cell phone. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you quickly. I know, I know you're. I don't know. You're probably running out of time. Um, but in Arthur's book, The Invisible Rainbow, he details how every major pandemic in history coincided with a new electrification of the earth. Um, you know, Spanish flu, for example, had uh, radio towers. You know, mm -hmm. they implemented those everywhere. Early warning radar stations and all that stuff. Um, how much of a contribution do you think um, that made to sickness of that time and, you know, other pandemics? Do you think that was like a major well, cause or maybe just contributed? It was de parts. definitely, it was definitely in the first world war, definitely a contributory factor because it was the early days of radio transmission with high, high powered units. And it's interesting to see the correlation between the incidence of the so-called Spanish flu. We've not really talked about it, but mm -hmm. uh, with the installations of high high-powered transmitters in the army bases, particularly in America, 
and there's then these high incidences of uh, what they were putting down to flu but when you look at the symptoms uh, you know people were hemorrhaging internal hemorrhaging particularly brain tumors uh, now that's not the sort of thing you get or associate normally with what people think of as flu you know they don't hemorrhage inside but it is the sort of thing you get from exposure to high-powered uh, radio transmission radio frequencies it is that sort of thing so definitely a contributory factor but we also found that uh, there were other contrib contributing factors but again it, there were different factors in different parts of the world because apparently it was supposed to be throughout the world so again there will be uh, different combinations of different factors uh, I mean one of the other things in army camps were um, the vaccination schedules they were given lots of vaccines some of them uh, some of the soldiers kind of um, had adverse effects you know were ill and died soon afterwards uh, people who were ill uh, again in the um, hospitals in the army camps they were given high doses of um, aspirins or they're given other, other toxic drugs a, a lot of the uh, sort of so-called medicines at the time were based on things like mercury so they're highly toxic so uh, again um you know conditions in the uh, trenches where you know they were just um uh, soaked in water and there was just no hygiene there were um a bad poor diet and um really bad kind of conditions that they were suffering uh, and high stress cold. high stress again it was a wartime again um you know talking about 1918 the it's not it wasn't just in 1918 but 1918 was the end of a four-year kind of world war that involved obviously millions of people and so lots lots of factors involved and we do kind of put those factors out and they would have been in different combinations depending on uh, what part of the world and again we do talk about um, other parts of the world where there were um, sim supposedly similar numbers the other thing is, uh, which is a, a major question mark over what's called um, 1918 flu, are the numbers. You know, that sometimes they're quoted as sort of, you know, 20 million and even upwards mm. uh, up to 100 million. So, um, you know, there's, that's a huge uh, discrepancy. So was it 20 million people that died? Was it 100 million? And, and if they died of flu, how do they know? So lots and lots of questions. But again, it's pe the establishment expecting us to just believe what they're putting out and and again yeah. there are lots of parallels with what was going on then with what's going on now oh, and absolutely. of course we've got much better access to the media and to spreading uh, misinformation so yeah. um it, it's just very uh it's very difficult and and this is one of the problems again that uh, we face when people say well if it's not a germ what is it as if there is one other thing that causes that and it's always a, a combination. So it's not a straightforward, oh, well, it's, if it's not that, it's that, you know, but it's not always that. They will be different, but also the symptoms that people experience will be, will range, you know, just because um, it's called flu. Some people will have the symptoms with much more severity. Some people will have a high fever. Some people have a low fever, you know, so it's not exactly the same. So there's not necessarily exactly the same condition. Um, and there'll be different factors that contribute to the body's, um, these are all the symptoms of just the body trying to heal itself because that's what the body does best. It, it's and it was during extreme. this period, it was during this period where uh, the medical authorities tried to prove that the 
1918 flu was an infectious disease. Like you said, the roads are now experiments. Yeah. So, yeah. And this is where they try to infect healthy volunteers mm-hmm. for, by, you know, some disgusting things of coughing directly, inf- infected people coughing directly into the well, faces. And uh, yes, but ill people, mm-hmm. Ill supposedly people. ill with the flu. Right. And taking secretions from their noses and giving, you know, it's revolting. But they could not infect a single person. So right. it, they proved themselves that it was not an infection and therefore it was something else. And uh, when we looked into it, we spent quite a bit of time on it. It was all of these other factors that uh, were obviously contributing to the death rate, you know. Uh, and sometimes uh, these young, remembering that the, the army guys were young, fit men. They were at the peak of their fitness because yeah. that's why the army wanted them. And sometimes after their raft of vaccinations, you know, they weren't even getting out of the camps. They were dead within a day or a few days, you know. Um, and so that's, uh, and as I say, and a lot of the times with uh, internal hemorrhages, you know, well, these are these are not the symptoms of flu, you know, which sort of, incubates them over a period of a few weeks and you're feeling pretty damn rotten um, with this supposed virus, which, which it isn't. There isn't. There had never been a virus proved to cause it. There's lots of other detox symptoms. But what was happening with the so-called Spanish flu were very, very different uh, symptoms, which uh, doesn't get talked about much by the mainstream media. Uh, but these are what you find when you start to investigate it. So a whole, whole uh, combination of different things. But of course, the authorities would not want to it to be known that these main causes were things like over vaccination, overdosing with uh, aspirin, and yeah. uh, uh, high EMF irradiation. Mm-hmm. You know, because that all comes down to the authorities being to blame for all these deaths and could be sued. So, as Dawn said very early in this conversation, it's much easier to blame a germ than to actually come up with the truth because you can't you can't sue a germ but you can certainly <laughs> sue the army or the medical establishment and that's what it boils down to you know and i read i read some studies on on the toxic use of aspirin which was you know invented around that time and they were really giving toxic doses high doses of aspirin um which if you read about can cause pneumonia in people mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's another way, you know, and that, that could easily look like a flu, right? A flu yeah. death. And, of course, there's a, the famous study that Fauci was a part of, uh, which said most people died of bacterial pneumonia. And a lot of people think it's, it was masks or, or whatever. And I think masks certainly contributed. But, um, yeah, I mean, that was very uh, kind of eye-opening to me. Yeah, and, but again, and aspirin, calling, it, but calling it bacterial pneumonia again, it's a kind of well, a uh, right. symptom of pneumonia because again, it wouldn't have been caused by the pneumonia, but it's it was uh, caused by the bacteria. But yeah. the, the the symptoms again, you know, they're they're complete, as you say, completely different from a normal kind of uh, what what we call flu. But it would it would be a a, a combination of these things. So with the uh, yes. sort of electrification and the vaccination, and then um, they're not you know they're not Lack well. They go into the hospital. Yeah. go into the hospital, get fed these high doses of aspirin, and a couple of days later, you know, the body just kind of um, gives up. Because it... high-dose aspirin also causes internal bleeding, mm. particularly in the yeah. stomach. You know, it's known to do that. So, again, it can easily be shown that uh, people die of uh, these causes, which can be attributed to the medical establishment and the army in those cases, um, and neglect. So, uh, 
again, we've given a very short uh, answer to that, but uh, we do talk ab about it a lot in the book, as as we do about all the other uh, so-called diseases, which uh, we found uh, to be caused by other much more plausible things and never caused by a germ. Uh, and that's the, that's what people need to realise. The germ theory is a complete fallacy. And so the rug is pulled out completely from just about everything the medical establishment does. The only thing the medical establishment's good at is mending broken bones, really. But uh, as regards advising you on how to stay healthy, uh, it has no idea. And uh, you can look after your own health, as Dawn said, take responsibility for it, follow a few simple rules with what you eat and drink and uh, what you put in and on your body. And uh, you can, you know, natural health is just that, naturally a natural thing for the human body. And you just have to obey these few simple rules and you'll live a long and healthy life without any recourse to um, expensive, uh, well, expensive treatments from uh, the medical establishment because they will not help you. They will end up making you far worse. That's a uh, good point. So I, I know there's lots of other things that uh, we can talk about, not least of which is uh, giving a bit more information about uh, vaccines. And uh, yeah. the only thing people need to know about vaccines is they have never, ever been proved to be safe and effective because they're based on uh, well, one is you don't you can't poison the body into health and uh, all vaccines contain toxic materials. And they're all based on the fact that uh, the body has an immune system, which it can bolster in some way to fight future attack by viruses. Well, and uh, bacteria. Well, once you've pro proved that there is no such thing as uh, 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 bacteria and viruses attacking the body, then why would the body need an immune system? It has a maintenance system. It doesn't have an immune system. And these things that the, another invention by the medical establishment of antibodies, um, why would it produce them? You know, when it knows, the body knows, there's nothing, there's no germs attacking it. So it doesn't need to have antibodies to attack those germs when they uh, occur. You know, the, what the body produces are things called globulins, which are proteins but they're repair mechanisms. And, you know, if cells are damaged through toxic intake, um, it releases globulins to repair it. Or if you cut your knee, you know, it's globulins that are being released to pull the wound together, stitch it together. These sticky proteins, that's what they are. But the medical establishment in, in their early days have uh, mistakenly called them antibodies when they see the body release them. Again, they, it's their mistakes that they know nothing about, but it suits their their purpose for uh, wanting to sell you various lotions and potions and vaccines mm. that uh, lots of that make lot of them lots of money mm. um so i again giving you very short answers to some of these things but uh, if uh, either you or your uh, listeners want us to come back on some stage and uh, talk some more about these things in a bit more detail we're more than happy to do so i would love that very much i think i could do you know like an eight-part series with you <laughs> guys with all this stuff so but you know i i think uh it would be accurate to say that you've in writing this book changed the nature of your reality and it certainly changed the nature of mine um so i recommend everybody uh pick up uh, what really makes you ill why everything you thought you knew about disease is wrong. It's an amazing book, and I thank you for writing it. And um, thank you so much for uh, spending the time to, to talk with me today. And I definitely, I hope you'll come back. 
Yeah. Yes, well, thank okay. you very much. Okay, Patrick, well, thank you. 